0: Think about what's going on here. Here's God, through the prophet Isaiah, telling his own people that the pagan Persian king, Persia was modern-day Iran, that the pagan Persian king Cyrus, who wouldn't be born for 150 years, would be God's anointed one. Nowhere, I mean, nowhere in all of Scripture do we find anything that comes close to the scope of this verse. Now, throughout Scripture, we see every once in a while how God used pagan kings as his servants. I think of King Nebuchadnezzar, for example. But nowhere else in Scripture do we see a pagan be consecrated by God as God's chosen representative. This is crazy stuff. I mean, when Isaiah was in active ministry from 740 to 681 B.C., he predicted the fall of Jerusalem. He, he predicted the rebuilding of the temple. Now he's predicting that God will choose a pagan to lead the Jews. I mean, think about this. For all of those years, if you know your Old Testament, the Jews tried to isolate themselves from the world. God told them, you know, you are a holy people. You're a holy nation. You're separated. Don't allow the values and customs of the world to come in. And now we have in Isaiah, God is saying, look, 150 years in the future, you're going to be led by a pagan. A pagan. This is just unheard of. I mean, after Isaiah's death, the prophet Jeremiah predicted that God's people would be taken away from their land, that Jerusalem would be overthrown, destroyed, the temple destroyed, and they'd be led off as exiles to another country for 70 years until the temple was rebuilt. And that happened. Listen to this. This is interesting. The book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophet's words. What happened was that King Cyrus started letting the Jews go home to Jerusalem. From the time of the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in 586 B.C., Until the dedication of the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem under Nehemiah, 70 years had passed. Just what Jeremiah had predicted. And 150 years earlier, a prophet named Isaiah wrote down God's words to Cyrus. A man in a nation Isaiah knew nothing about. I mean, just... Let's try to put this in in personal perspective here. Imagine if someone shows you an old book, a book written in 1865, a book that they said was was written by a religious person in 1865, and you open it up, and you see your exact name. You see words directed to you. Wouldn't you pay attention? My goodness, if I opened up a book written in the 1800s and saw—and you, Mike Voigt—I'm like, whoa! When when King Cyrus's chief lieutenant, Bel, Belshazzar—I can't even pronounce it, otherwise known as Daniel—it's a lot easier to say. When Daniel shows him a scroll written 150 years earlier in which Daniel's God mentioned him by name, I'm sure Cyrus paid attention to. And God's people began the process of being returned to their homeland. Now where are we going with all this? You don't need a history lesson this morning. Why do we think That God can't do whatever He wants to do to achieve His purposes in the world. Why is it unthinkable that the Creator of the world, of the universe, can't use a Persian king? Is God somehow limited in how He can work? Is God limited by which people He can use? Even in the world today. I mean, God is big enough to do whatever He wants, through whomever He wants, and whenever He wants. That's how big God is. But that also doesn't mean that anything goes. I mean, God doesn't contradict Himself. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God can do whatever he wants to do, but God's laws don't change because God doesn't change. God can do whatever he wants, but without being inconsistent with who he is. Isn't it amazing how we think things have to be done a certain way? It's like that church I served in Texas in the middle of nowhere. The growth that we saw was unbelievable. People come into faith on a regular basis. But yet, I got a call from our bishop one day. Mike, I've got a complaint about your church. Said, oh my goodness. What in the world could somebody complain about? Thank you all for not calling the bishop, by the way, since since I've been here. After this sermon, who knows? But because there's one person said that the growth in the church wasn't Methodist growth. What does that mean? It wasn't growing the Methodist way. I still don't know what that means. See, sometimes we have in our minds that things have to be done a certain way. You know, churches have to be organized in a certain way. Worship music has to sound a certain way. People have to come to faith in Christ in a certain way. It's like the person who came down front and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And the pastor said, great, enroll in this class. Why do we think things have to be done the way we think they need to be done? Who who comes up with this stuff? I don't know about you, but I think God is big enough to be able to use an electric guitar in worship the same way he can use an organ. I think God is big enough to be able to use a small group in a living room in the same way that he can use a Sunday school class. I mean, if God can use a pagan king, he can certainly work outside of our ways of seeing the world. In his book, The Upside Down Church, Pastor Paul Laurie tells the story about how his church started in in Southern California. They didn't know what they were doing, they did everything wrong. They did things that church growth people told them they should not do. And today, 40 years later, that is a thriving church that has incredible ministries in South LA. You know, there are lots of books today on how you're supposed to do church. Too many books on how pastors ought to be leaders. Too many of those books. I'd rather follow Jesus. Books on how to start small groups. Books on how to train volunteers. Books on even how to start a church. And maybe I'm just being cynical, but I wonder if all these books, these how-to books, give room for God to break into those written rules. I mean, if we're working to build our church and our ministry, then follow the steps. But if we're building God's church or God's ministry, then we'd better let God show us how it's going to be done. It might be through a 10-step volunteer training manual. It might be. Or it might be through a completely opposite process. See, God is working in us even when we don't know it. When we go through those dry, dark times in our lives when God seems so distant from us and we've all been there. God's still working in our lives. God is even working in our lives when we're working against God. Remember Samson from the book of Judges? God used him even though much of Samson's life He was unfaithful to God. I can't think of very many more unfaithful people in the Old Testament than Samson. Yet God used him. Listen to what God says to the then unborn Cyrus in Isaiah 45, 5. He says, I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have prepared you even though you do not know me. Even before Cyrus was born, God was preparing him to do God's work in the world. Even if it meant bypassing God's own people. See, before we ever think about God, God's thinking about us. Before we could ever have a concept of what it means to love God. God's already loving us. In the Bible, we see God working outside the political system or inside the political system. We see God working through individuals. We see God working through entire nations. We see God working through his faithful people and we see God working is in this case, through a pagan. God is not limited. God will use anyone to achieve his purposes in the world. Think about when you've questioned the way something was done, and you wish it was done a different way. Think about when you despaired because you thought the nation was doomed because your political party lost. Think about when you've doubted that something would work because it wasn't your idea. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Okay, I'll confess. Imagine, just imagine, the disciples' reaction when they learned that the anointed one of God, the Messiah, Jesus himself, was going to save the world, not by taking over the world, but by dying the death of a criminal. It's probably not the way they thought it would happen. Imagine the disciples' reaction when Jesus showed them the real meaning of the Passover lamb when he described it to them on the night before he died. See, for thousands of years, God's people remembered that Passover. Remember the the, the ten plagues of Egypt? They said, Take the blood of the animal, put it over the doorpost, and the angel of death will bypass you. That's the Passover. The angel of death will pass over you. And ever since, the Jews have been celebrating and remembering that. Jesus is saying, I'm that animal, the blood, I am the Passover lamb. Probably not what the disciples were expecting to hear. Imagine the Jews' reaction when their hopes were dashed because the Messiah that they thought had finally come after waiting more than a thousand years didn't turn out the way they thought he would. He was a different kind of Messiah than they wanted. It wasn't done in the way that they thought it would be. And so they missed it. Your life may not have turned out the way that you planned for it to. My life certainly hasn't. But you know, maybe that's best. Because the reality is that God knows what he's doing. Even when we wonder, what in the world has happened to me? Ever felt that way? What in the world has happened to me? God knows what he's doing. It's because God can do anything he wants in any way that he wants. And if it's not what we thought God should have done, or if it's not the way that we thought God should have done it, then we're probably better off for it. Because it's not our plans. It's not our agenda. But it's God's. As we share this Lord's Supper this morning, my goodness, who would have ever thought that God would save the world through a criminal's death That's just not how it's done. That's not what they teach in Saving the World 101 in college. But yet here we are. And look what he did. And every time we come together and we share this meal as a church family, it binds us together. That reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And it reminds us that he's here right now. Guiding our lives. Guiding this church. Even if it's not done the way that we think it ought to be. Let's pray together. Let's pray.